Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is uh, Gigabit Nation. Uh, we are in a uh, bit of a technical difficulty here. If you can hang on for one minute, uh, we'll get reconnected. Hold on one second. Please bear with us for one more minute, please. We have uh, we are having some connection difficulties. We'll be ready to go in a minute. Good morning, this is Craig Settles. This is your host for Gigabit Nation. We are having some technical difficulty, and hopefully we will be able to connect here with our guest in one minute. Um, Please bear with us just a little bit.
Hi, this is Mark. Can I help you? Mark, good afternoon. I think we have finally uh, got ourselves connected here. We seem to be, uh, I don't know, experiencing some sort of general difficulty. However, we are online. We are live once again. And Mark, good morning and welcome to Gigabit Nation. Thank you, Craig. So just as a setup for our audience here, uh, thank you for, for being patient as we've gone through uh, this transition here and soon to be back online. Uh, the, the topic of today's show is, is to look at um, how communities can adapt and change as events happen outside of the uh, outside of the basic plan. You know, we start forward with a plan on how we're going to move these broadband networks forward, and then stuff happens and you have to change, have to make adjustments, shift partners, whatever it takes, but to keep the project online. And I think Sibley is a good example, Sibley County in Minnesota, because they had started out in one uh, broadband path and have had the change. And so we're going to look at what's going on there, lessons to be learned, and how this can be applied to uh, projects that you're working on. So, uh, Mark, let's first start with um, a full-on introduction. What, what do you do and what's been your role with uh, Sibley County's project to date? I'm the uh, city administrator and EDA director, the Economic Development Authority director in the in the small rural uh, community of Winthrop, Minnesota, about an hour southwest of the Twin Cities. And in that role, my council asked me four years ago this month to begin uh, exploring options to competition to the local cable company, which they understood to mean a fiber to the home network. <laughs> So now, what has been the the, the path of, of the Sibley project? I think originally you were going to be, uh, or at least were considering being part of a two-county effort, right? Right. Uh, we we took uh, we decided that if we were going to do this, we were going to take the high road. And what I mm-hmm. mean by that is, um, my council said they wanted competition to the local cable company. That meant fiber to the home. We went immediately to our local phone company a small independent, and said, uh, we would like uh, you to explore a fiber-to-the-home network in our community. And they said, absolutely, we would love to do that. Mm-hmm. And they said, and I said, well, it's, it's fairly expensive. Don't worry about the expense. We have lots of money to do this. Six months later, they were hemming and hawing and then decided at that point that they really weren't serious about it and they really weren't going to. But we let's continue the discussions. And then about a, six months after that, they kind of concluded that, no, they weren't going to do it. Mm-hmm. So my uh, council said, what's next? And I said, well, we're too small to do it on our own. You need about 2,000 passes to effectively generate revenue for a fiber-to-the-home build. So we went to all of the cities. There are seven cities in the county, and we asked them to partner on a feasibility study grant to the Blandon Foundation to determine if it's feasible to build and and operate and and, gener- and generate enough revenue to pay the bonds on a fiber-to-the-home network in the seven communities. Just before we executed that grant, and we did receive that grant, the county came to us, and we're a rural county, very ag-related, lots of farms. Mm-hmm. The, the county came to us and said, you know, if you make it a rural study, we'll throw in the grant match, the $40,000 grant match for all the cities and the counties. And that, Craig, mm-hmm. I have to tell you, turned out to just be a stroke of genius. Uh, uh-huh. We hired, uh, we really just turned this project on its head. That was uh, that was three years ago last 
summer, we hired CCG Consulting. Uh, they did a they did a phone survey and found that 65% uh, plus of the folks thought it was a great idea to build broadband networks in our area. Uh, we proceeded on a feasibility study, and we came to the conclusion, or he came to the conclusion, that with enough penetration rate and the right construction cost, yes, it's feasible to build a fiber to the home, fiber to the farm network in all of Sibley County. We had included a small town just to the west of our county called Fairfax because Fairfax is part of our GFW school, our consolidated school district, and we thought it was important to have all the towns in the school district. So we actually leak over into another county and decided to build out the rural telephone exchange around that town. So we started that way. Uh, a year and a half later, uh, as we uh, solicited pledge cards from folks, we, we, we held a series of, of about 80 or 90 uh, public meetings, um, maybe five in each town, and, and we went to parks, we went to celebrations. We, we, got, we had a very enthusiastic group. We decided to add four communities on the edge of, of our network in other counties, and they all agreed. Um, and that's when things got very interesting. We uh, we got some buck back mm -hmm. and, uh, from our county our county commissioners who had originally asked us to join. They quite didn't have the vision for it. Really, it turned out to be small town politics. One gentleman, in particular, represented a a community who dropped out of the project, and he just didn't want to see that. Uh, he didn't want to see the, the county continue to be part of it. So three weeks ago, after we had solicited all of the townships in the county for their um, uh, support of the project, and all 17 said uh, they supported it, and after we had a 55% pre-sale among all of the uh, 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 possible customers in the project area, the county voted to withdraw. And they did it in such a way that uh, really upset the rural folks because it's it's really the rural people who have nothing out there. And so they have now started their own fiber cooperative. And they're in the third week of that. They've registered with the state, and they're starting to put together a business plan and plan on raising uh, equity, and they're going to build their own fiber-to-the-farm network. I think that's exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, most assuredly. I mean, that's a uh, the most prime example of a community taking charge of its destiny, its broadband destiny, after some uh, after a number of hurdles. Now, when you first um, started the project, you mentioned that a few years ago or so, uh, and you also mentioned that, that the county had money or was willing to make money available for the broadband project. What was the um, original thinking that basically convinced the the, the local you know, governing body or the county governing body and also the constituents that this was an investment worth making? Well, uh, we painted a vision about what fiber to the home and especially what bandwidth can do for economic development and can do for education, can do for health care, and can do for senior citizens. Really, in much of rural America, small communities exist, and, and they have uh, average a little above, a little below uh, bandwidth from their cable companies and stuff, but they don't have the ability to have ultra-high-speed bandwidth. 
and we educated uh, the different councils and, and the and the county folks and said, look, you know, with with this kind of bandwidth, we can do these kinds of things today, and look at what we're going to be able to do in the future. And strategically, we equated the opportunity to build fiber to the farm to the rural electrification oh, 80, 90 years ago. And many people got that. They saw that. This transformative technology that fiber is, this um, um, future-proof technology that fiber is, is seen to many people to be the same opportunity as electricity was uh, back in the middle to early uh, 20th, uh, 20th century. Uh, people got it. Uh, the other thing that we did that was very successful, Craig, is we used the fiber to the home councils, fiber to the home primer, and they, and they have a very good one out, and we mailed it to 7,500 people in the county with, along with a letter and a Q&A and some pledge cards with the return envelope, and we said, read this and really see what the opportunity is for bandwidth in not your futures, but the future of your children and their grandchildren. And people really bought into the idea to invest in their own futures. And, uh, and that's really what has carried this project forward. We have strong support in all the towns remaining, and the rural folks didn't skip a beat when the county commissioners voted no on a Tuesday. By Wednesday afternoon, they had a fiber cooperative registered with the state of Minnesota. They're very excited and, and they and they want to see this happen here. So that's a um uh a good basic foundation then seems like uh with the right education of the community that you would be able or a community would be able to uh show enough cause to get people committed to the process. I mean, that, that's the basic bottom line here, right? It was education and people were very rational as they re, as they re, reviewed that, edu- that material and then made a decision that, yes, this, this is what we have to do. We, um, that's, that's very true. As I said, we we held over 100 public meetings by the time we, we by the time to this date now, and we've held scores of other meetings uh, um, and we commented among our marketing group that during these presentations, once people understood the opportunity, 95% plus said, oh, yes, oh, yes, we have to do this. This is important to our futures. So once they really understood it, and it takes a little bit of understanding the basics of fiber technology, what bandwidth is, and what it can do and why it's important, uh, they get it. We had a a lady from a small town called Green Isle, and, she, and that was the last public presentation we made. And she's a she's a bank manager, and she's educated. And she's a mother of three or four. And at the end of the presentation, she raised her hand and she said, "Can I go door to door for you in Green Isle tomorrow with the pledge cards?" Because we were in a pledge card drive mode. And we said, well, certainly. And the next day I brought her a stack of pledge cards, and I said, well, where did that kind of come from? And she smiled, and she said, "She said it just struck me. This is, and this is, quote, this is the biggest no-brainer I have ever seen in my life. Why wouldn't we do this? No one else is going to do it for us out here, which points to another dynamic 
that's that's part of this fiber opportunity is across our 650 square mile footprint, we have one independent phone company. <laughs> the rest of them are large ILEX, and they've we've gone to the large ILEX. As a matter of fact, I said we started taking the high road from the beginning. After we went to our local ILEX and said, will you build this, uh, they said no. And then we said, how about if we put the money up, and they and you can own it and operate it at the end of the lease. You can operate it and own it at the end of the lease. And they said no. Then we went to CenturyLink and did the same thing. We said, look, we'll put the money up. And you can operate it and own it at the end of the lease. No. We went to Frontier, said the same thing. We went to Mediacom and said the same thing. And they all said no. And people then say, even those of the persuasion who say government shouldn't be doing this, and I kind of lean in that direction, you know, well, if no one's going to do it, then who's left to advocate for these people out here? Well, it's the local government. It's the people themselves. So that was a, a very powerful dynamic in our project, the fact that we offered to pay for the network and offered it to the ILEX and the cable companies to operate, and they said no. That, with the, with the basic education and, and a hardworking marketing group and a little bit of vision, uh, really has turned people on to the idea that this is important for them, not just today, but for their kids' future as well. <clears throat> this uh, actually comes back to something that uh, I've, I've had conversations with a number of people about, which is the issue of broadband, particularly when you're in small towns and rural communities, the issue of broadband stops becoming a partisan issue. It stops becoming, you know, governments shouldn't be involved and so forth. Um, it, it kind of removes that barrier. And it seems like, from what you're saying, that this is the case here, that, you know, though granted they probably wouldn't want government to start running the general stores and, and shopping centers, they definitely see in this particular case there's a need significant enough that the local government, as opposed to maybe bigger government, should be, should be involved in the process. That that's question? true. Yeah, th uh, that's true. They see it as a utility. As a matter of fact, there was a story on the net last week I can't remember where it came from. It, it said that that uh, broadband was seen as the most important utility in a person's household, and and that's going to become more and more the case. Uh, you know, when I talk to groups, I say when the electricity man came to the farms, you know, and and some of them back in the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, and said to the farmer, you know, for a $10 investment and a dollar a month. I can give you this new technology called electricity. And they said, well, what can I do with it? And they said, well, you can turn the light bulb on with it. And they said, well, we're not really interested because we have lamps, uh, kerosene lamps and candles. And it wasn't until they developed the, the motor and, and the electric iron and the refrigerator and all those things, the applications for the technology, that it really took off. And the same thing is happening, I think, with bandwidth. You know, there's lots of new innovative applications coming out for bandwidth, and there's going to be more and more. I also tell folks, you know, Google's not building a copper network down in Kansas City, you know, and the, the phone companies don't like it when I, when I tell them that fiber is to copper what the tractor was to the horse out, out here on, on the farm. It just replaces it. It's better. Um, mm -hmm. uh, 
fiber. And, and that's another point, I think, is the Google announcement uh, really created a lot of excitement and a lot of general talk around the coffee shops about technology, this uh, a Google Fiber contest they had going on. And um, and it and it kind of mainstreamed it. So. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I, I'm, I'm guessing that that played a uh, that played a factor. Do you find that the average citizen is um, aware of broadband? I mean, before you guys started doing the heavy promotion, did you get a sense that there was a general awareness of what was going on? at least a little bit, in the broadband arena by your average person on the street? Well, the average person understands that that the Internet is important, and, and they use it in their jobs and in, the, in, in their private lives and with their family and texting and mobility and, and wireless. They understand all that. Our high school here, uh, GFW, was the first iPad high school in the nation. So we got it here. But when it comes down to understanding the difference between – the, the 5 megs or the 10 megs you can get down and the 1 meg up from your cable company versus 100 megs up and down from a fiber connection, they had no idea. They, they, mm-hmm. they, just, they just don't understand the, the uh, difference. And it, and it takes some education. And, it, you know, what we tell people is just look at your, um, at your entertainment budget, you know, uh, 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 people love high-definition TV, and, and they think they get that with satellite, and they really don't. And they think they get that with cable. And, and in these small towns where the networks are 35 years old, they really don't. It's all compressed. It looks it looks, it looks looks pretty good. But when you can show them the difference or explain to them the difference between an uncompressed fiber image at high-definition and and then have two streams going on in the house, and then maybe want to do one of them 3D, and then have a, a couple of kids uh, streaming on the internet. You know, they understand that 10 megs just isn't going to cut it. That, that you're going to need more in the future. We, we we educate people on what they have today, and we tell them why fiber is future proof. Why that one strand of fiber that can do a 100 gigabits of bandwidth today. One strand of fiber can do 100 gigabits. And then we say this. If a one-inch water pipe was one megabit, and that's kind of what bandwidth is. It's like water flowing through a pipe, and they get that. Mm-hmm. If, a, if a one meg bandwidth connection is, is a one-inch water pipe, a 1,000 gigabits is a water pipe that's a mile and a half in diameter. And they get I'm that. They say, oh, my goodness. <laughs> they Interesting. Say, oh my I'm going to have to remember to use that. Yeah, and then, and then <laughs> when I put that in, well, be careful, because I put that in one of the emails, and I had an engineer from one of the towns uh, email me and said that that's not uh, technically accurate, and he went through a bunch of flows on water and what water did and how this, and he said it wouldn't be a water pipe that's 8,300 feet in diameter, it would be a water pipe that's 450 feet in diameter. And I said, well, that works for me as well. <laughs> you know, that works Excellent. for me as well. Yeah. I'll have to take that one under advisement. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you guys were building, or, or I guess initially laying out the plan, um, 
did you did you create a written plan? Which people and also who was involved with the planning process in the early iteration of this whole deal? Well, yeah, uh, we hired Doug Dawson with CCG. I had met him. Uh, I used to work for Hiawatha Broadband out of out of Winona uh, before I came mm-hmm. here, and I came here to get away from technology. And I had known Doug. Uh, and he included us. Uh, he did most of the planning. Uh, he has he has an engineering side, and they put the initial plan together. Uh, uh, but um, so we have really relied on Doug about that. My job was to really to uh, to market to folks. You know, how do we get mm-hmm. people to mm-hmm. understand the oppor- opportunity? So we relied on Doug for that. Uh, we went to our schools and we went to our counties and we said, you know, what do you need? And we went to our larger businesses and said, what do you need? And we found an, we found out an, an interesting fact. We have a local clinic in town, a local health care clinic, and, and they are spending $30,000 a year for three megabits of connectivity up and down. They're buying two T1 lines, two T1 lines at $2,500 a month. And we said, well, you know, we could give you 50 megs for about 100 bucks a month. And the guy said, you just saved me $28,800. Nothing closes the scale like a big savings like that. (laughs) Well, yeah, and and what goes on here, and, you know, and, and by the way, the other thing that we didn't do is we didn't trash the phone companies and we didn't trash the cable company. Uh, we said these guys do a good job. They're they they're here. They're invested in our communities, but we asked them to do it and they said no. But they have limited networks. They have copper networks. They have old technology, and some of them are are, are in need of maintenance and, and expensive upgrades. And they just aren't going to be able to match the performance of fiber ever. Unless mm-hmm. you live within a, a few feet of the central office, you know. Early on, we had Frontier Phone sent a letter to the county commissioners that said we have fiber product, uh, we have fiber, we have copper services that are just as fast, if not faster, than fiber services. You know, and we just, you mm-hmm. know, we just, we and we just laughed. You know, well. <laughs> Within the CO, maybe they 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 do, but you know when they so we said so. How about when you get out in the country, you know, because we're a rural county, and they said, well, no, we can't, we we can't do that. And I had a person from their network call me and said they've been fighting with Frontier for six months because they're at the end of the line geographically on on mm-hmm. the copper network, and they will not invest any more in that copper network. They said they will not invest, and you know Frontier took money from the uh, uh, build America Broadband. I don't think that's what it's called exactly. And, and they took funds, and, and they're switching everything over in the rural areas. It appears to satellite. That's their solution. Is satellite out here? And of course, right. We don't cons- we don't consider that a broadband solution. So. And I think that you know the the frontier example is actually you know right now or you know last week in the news. There was a lot made of the fact that AT&T is trying to get out of all of its obligations to provide services to rural areas, and they're they're saying that well, you know, we will take money from the you know Connect America fund, and you know we'll give you wireless, we'll give you 4G wireless, and uh, but we're going to take away the copper. 
And, you know, I look at the, the wireless argument in two ways. You can tell me, you know, how rational this is. There is the wireless that is provided by the bigger companies, uh, the AT&Ts and, 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 and this whole proclamation about LTE, which I think is marketing more than reality. And I see that as being highly flawed because, you know, at its best, at its best promoted speed these days, you'll get someone to say, well, we'll have 12 megs or we'll have maybe 15 megs. Now, I also look at wireless. I look at fixed wireless. And, uh, you know, and I've, and I've had even a couple of uh, wireless ISPs on the show uh, who are building um, gigabit fixed wireless networks. And so, you know, a question that comes to my mind is, uh, is it really the issue, is, is really the issue we're talking about is the speed? And if it makes economic sense to bring in a, um, a wireless connection, a fixed wireless connection, if it can be guaranteed to deliver the speed that's needed, you know, at the, at the farmer level, at the, you know, the level of, you know, people's homes and whatnot, will they care much one way or the other? Well, that's a good question, and we fought the wireless perspective for about a year because Frontier was telling folks that uh, fiber is outdated technology. In five years, it'll be gone, and it'll all be it'll all be wireless. So you know, right, well, copper okay. was going to live, but but uh, fiber was was going to die. And and what mm-hmm. we discovered, Craig, as we talked to our consultant and different folks, was the real issue with wireless, whether it's it's fixed or uh, whether it's uh, mobile, and and that's and that's a kind of fix too, because uh, people use their cell phones for as a, a modem, um, is reliability, and and uh, out here uh, in the country, people only have satellite television, and when the snowstorm hits or the big thunderstorm hits, they lose service. They can't get it, and the same thing happens with wireless. You know, it, it's there's just things in the air. It's it's the, it's the nature of the technology, and it also depends on how far or how close to the tower you are. You know, if you have a tower a half mile away, you you might be okay with speeds down. You know, they never say much about up. Uh, and if you're at the edge of that um, a, a tower's range, you know, it's a whole different matter. So. We have told people, and it's true, that if we can build this fiber network to every farm, uh, it will be, you know, five nines plus, 99.999% of the time, it will be up. It won't fade during the weather, you know, um, it, and it, you know, we will have a network that will deliver unparalleled bandwidth. The other important distinction that we made with our network is we separated the internet part of it, the connection to the outside world, the uh, a 20 or 50 or 100 megs of internet uh, connection we're going to give to everybody, and we separated that from the intranet. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is within this, 60, this 650 square mile footprint that is our project, um, if you take away the internet connection, that's one very large local area network. Um, it's just like an office network. And between everybody, question. what's that? Mm-hmm. No, no, I have a question about that, and it's sort of a clarification point. Um, sure. Some of our audience may not know what an internet is, but if you could just briefly describe it 
and then oh, talk sure. about the advantage of it, uh, I think that would be very good. All right. Okay, so we have built our county out, 650 square miles, and every home and every farm and every business has fiber. They're connected to one single network. And if they want to go to the Internet, they, they they take this redundant path down to downtown Minneapolis, the 511 building, and they hop to Chicago, and they, and they, and they access all their Internet stuff that way. But if you take that away, say there is no Internet, the folks, the, the network that's left, and everybody's connected to it, between everybody, we have resident bandwidth in there that's a gigabit symmetrical a gigabit of symmetrical bandwidth between everybody, and it's free because it's it's resident in the network. When you when you when you go out to the internet, you have to pay somebody for that for that connectivity. You have to pay for the pipe to the internet. But the intranet, that internal network that everybody's connected to, the bandwidth between everybody is free. So that enables very high definition video connections between teachers and parents, teachers and students, and students in classroom, and doctors and patients and clergy and parishioners and businessmen and consumers. So you have this amazingly fast uh, intranet that can enable all of this one video communications. And, and there's, a, there's been a couple of examples that we have used with people. We, we spoke to the to the the USDA director in the state, and we told her what we wanted to do with this intranet that we had, and she became excited because one of the things the USDA can't do very effectively is they cannot, or the a federal government can't do very effectively, is they can't deliver mental health services to the rural areas very efficiently. They can't send a doctor out to drive for two and a half hours meet a guy on his farm for two hours and then drive back to the office. You just can't do that. But if they can enable a high-definition video link between the doctor in the big city and the farmer or the patient on the farm, and that high-definition video link, you can you can see the pupils dilate or you can see the jaws clench or you can see the cheeks flush in response to a question, you can hold they say, a mental health session, which means you can deliver services much more efficiently and more effectively than you can without that fiber network. And the other story that we tell, and, and this is kind of a, I learned early on, Craig, and, and I, you know, there's, there's always a wow factor with this, with a technology. So, wow, you can do that? And then you think mm-hmm. about it and you say, well, you know, that's not that big of a deal, but wow, that's that's kind of cool. This may fall more in the wow factor, but I think if you think about it, it means other things as well. I got a chance, not this last fall, but the, but but in 2011, to go to the Calix Users Conference in um, Las Vegas. In this big room, they had some engineers off in the corner with about six or eight whiteboards, and we were encouraged to go over there and ask these software engineers questions about things we wanted to do with the, with our network. And I went over there and said, and I kind of lied to him, but kind of. I said, look, I belong to a singing quartet. Uh-huh. And we live and we live in four different towns in our project area. We're all connected with fiber. 
and we have to sing at the local church on Sunday. We haven't practiced for two months. We're singing a new song by request, and it's snowing outside, because it does here in Minnesota, <laughs> and we're in serious trouble. How are we going to practice? Can you develop some, some uh, middleware for me, and can we plug headphones and microphones into our fiber connections, and can we have a, a, a practice session like we're all standing in a recording studio together? And he said, oh, absolutely. That's easy to do. Now, you take that wow. experience and you say, I know I know senior citizens who can't sing in the church choir anymore because they just can't sit in the pews. They can't. They, they, aren't, they, aren't, they aren't mobile, but they could sit at home and sing with the choir or practice with the choir, or homeschooled kids could practice with the choir. I mean, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of wonderful things a person could think of to do with this kind of a bandwidth opportunity. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, just, it's just remarkable. It's just remarkable technology. Uh, and, and I think what you're seeing out of uh, Kansas City is just the beginning and down and down in mm-hmm. uh, uh, Chattanooga and you know and down Lafayette and, and um, we're I'm excited about it you know uh, we have our challenges left here we uh, we, we uh, it turns out that uh, state law in Minnesota doesn't really enable the kind of financial transaction we want to do to build this network and we're uh, and we're we've been stymied uh, with mm-hmm. our ability to uh, borrow money, uh, we have a wonderful business plan with with a with a very low risk. We need about 370 new subscribers in the first three years uh, to be at break even. We have people who want to lend us the money; they they think it's a great project, but we can't find the legal financial mechanism in between that allows that to happen. We're still struggling with that, so we have challenges left, uh, and, mm-hmm. and and and. Uh, I just don't know what's going to happen yet. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't it possible to create a co-op to run this, and then you'd get around all that legal craziness? Well, the, 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 there are realities. And when you sit down and talk with the phone companies, uh, you know, and you talk to the CFOs and the CEOs, and, and you say, this is what you want to do, they uh, look at you and say, well, where's the business plan? I I need a five-year ROI. I, I can get I can get uh, 12-year money maybe. I can get 15-year money from the RUS, you know. Uh, but when you invest in a fiber network the size of ours, it's $10,000 per pass to build it in the rural areas. It's $2,500 per pass. These are averages in town. We had blended all those costs when it was one big project at about $5,600 per pass. The only way that you can make that cash flow is if you have – very long-term, 35-year low-interest bond money. And cities mm-hmm. and counties have access to that through the bond market. Cooperatives don't, but cooperatives raise equity to offset that. Uh, so our project split two and a half weeks ago when the county backed out. This cooperative is mm-hmm. forging ahead. We hope to have a business plan within a week they're going to look at what their equity requirements are going to be, how much equity they're going to have to raise, um, and then they're going to have to plug that into the business plan to see if they can make it work because it is expensive to build it in the rural areas. It's about $10,000 per pass. 
But if they can become our customer and just hook onto our network, they don't have to build out a head end and they don't have to build out all these uh, core services that will help them and it will also help us. So yes, a cooperative can form to do that, but in the cities we're still going down this municipal, we formed a joint powers board and 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 uh, we've, we've uh, hired an operator and they will have almost complete control of the network regarding pricing and marketing and all that. Um, so it, it, you know, it's it's the financial equation because one of the things you have to do is you have to build this in a manner that um, allows you to be to be successful. However, you gauge that, and we gauge our success not by making a lot of money, but by uh, paying back the bonds that allowed us to build it. We yeah. just want to pay back the bonds and be at break even. Right. Okay. But coming back to the to the train of thought here that I was trying to follow, so you've got a um, you've got a community, you got a county that has a plan, and the plan wants to be funded. But you mentioned that there were uh, obstacles because of the laws that work against uh, municipal owned networks. So I guess my question was, if you switch the, if basically you're creating a farmers co-op now, so could not the co-op take the same plan and the same basic, you know, ideas for moving forward and then just do it as the co-op and then by it being the co-op versus the muni or, you know, the county government, yep. Yep. that you in essence can do, you know, you can do the thing yep. and get that money that people are willing to invest that is being stymied by the the law when it's the, when it's the, uh, the government that owns the network. Right. And and you know we may end up we may end up going that route, but it has, but it has, it also has its its uh, challenges in doing that because you have to raise more equity. You have to raise thirty percent equity almost to the cost of your network. Ours ours was a seventy million dollar bond proceeds. Uh, oh, initially. okay. So it's now it's fifty. So you got to okay. you got to raise twenty one million, and then you have to borrow. The, the remainder right, and 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 you need long-term money in order to make it work financially. So it's a it's a balancing act. I think there's a role for state and local governments or state and federal governments. Um, we didn't take any stimulus dollars. We didn't want any stimulus dollars because we're we're creating private jobs and we're going mm-hmm. to the private bond market for this money. Um, uh, but I think if the federal government could figure out a way to guarantee, like an SBA loan, uh, a debt service reserve fund for a project for, say, the first five or six years. Mm -hmm. Uh, That might make a big, big difference. Now, another thing, one of the the guests in my show has brought up is the idea of crowdfunding. I don't know if you've followed Ah. that very much. But, uh, in fact, we had someone who's involved in the Kansas City, the Google project in Kansas City on the show. They have a company, it's called Neighborly, where it's neighbor.ly. And their purpose, the Neighborly purpose, is to help um, local governments finance projects that's in the public good. And where they got this idea from was looking at, you know, what was going on with the broadband project in Kansas City and realizing the government needed to have some sort of role, needed to have some sort of skin in the game, or I should say the community needed some sort of skin in the game. And somehow all that evolved to, well, what if we 
you know, created a, a crowdsourcing operation just for governments wanting to fund, uh, you know, public good projects similar to broadband. And so from that idea, they um, they moved forward and they've got, you know, they're, they're doing some stuff in Kansas City because, you know, they're sort of pilot testing this close to home. But the, but I mean, as, as from if, if my radio show is any indication, I mean there were like 700 people that tuned in because all of a sudden they said, well, you know, maybe this is a path to moving uh, some projects forward. And so maybe that's you know, I'm throwing this out there as a you know point to consider on your end. Well, maybe you can uh, move a project like this forward, a, a crowdfunding project. Uh, and there's another uh, group in uh, Kansas City, Emporia, Kansas. I'm sorry, not Kansas City, in Kansas, the state of Kansas. And they've got um, four people together to create a company and offer a um, stock at, uh, what was it, 50000 a share uh, minimum investment, or $50,000, you know, minimum investment. I'm not sure how the shares break down. But the idea was to raise money locally, right? And in their case, they had a lot of rural areas. They got they found a fair number of farms, local farms, that were willing to put that money uh, into the project. I mean, more people than you would think looking at a rural community. So I throw both of these out for you to kind of think about and, you know, and, com- and, and comment back me on, which is, you know, can, can something like one of those two ideas be, can be viable in, in, your, in your county? I think it will be viable. I think that cooperative is exactly that model. In, mm-hmm. in, Minnesota, in Minnesota, a cooperative, this is a big, big cooperative state. There's, there's lots of different kinds of cooperatives. And, and people see that as as very very viable. So that funny model, that uh, crowdsourcing that you're talking about, I think is what's going to help help the uh, rural out. We decided mm-hmm. as a joint powers board, we have ten cities that make up in one county, one small one one part of a small county, to make up the joint the joint powers board. We decided that we're so close to funding this with our business plan through bond proceeds that we have to continue down the road and figure this out. Uh, just because we've invested the last two years into this financial model, so for us to just stop and turn uh, would put us back perhaps a year or 18 months. Uh, we're just a few weeks away, we hope, from having a solution. And and we hope to have a bond sale in January and start construction of our network in, in the spring. So crowdsourcing, uh, cooperatives, outside investors. Yeah, I think, yes, Craig, I think that's very, very viable. Hopefully at the uh, the summit, which is starting tomorrow uh, there in uh, Duluth, uh, this idea can be kicked around either informally, and I, I haven't, I've, I've looked over the agenda, but I'm not sure which of the uh, topics might be an open or good forum to discuss this, but um, but I'll be there, and you'll be there, and so you know maybe we can uh, kick this idea around with a number of other folks. Uh, and in fact, tomorrow's show we're going to be um, I'm going to be interviewing uh, uh, CTC, uh, Consolidated Telecom Communications, I believe is the company, and they're a co-op actually. Yep. And we're going to yep. be talking about uh, you know uh, telecom co-ops branching into the broadband area or expanding their interest in broadband, 
as a way to tackle a lot of these issues and the legal issues. I mean, I think the legal issues are ridiculous, as I have said often in print and everywhere else. And so the idea of the, you know, of an aggressive co-op strategy, um, and in fact, these guys at CTC have have partnered with other co-ops in Minnesota to tackle other projects. You know, I think that that's that's a way out. That's a way forward um, yeah. for a lot of these projects. And and yeah. so you know, we have to, yeah. So now, given how well, wait, 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 um, wait, 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 one one okay. thing. Let me let mm-hmm. the listeners know that you're being a little bit modest here because you're the keynote for this conference <laughs> that starts tomorrow. <laughs> So, so you there can bring, that. so you can bring the idea up yourself that you guys need to have more discussion about this in the state of Minnesota. I think you'd find that receptive. And the other thing about a cooperative is, is and why they work. Our joint, our joint power board is kind of like a cooperative because it's kind of member driven. In the state of North Dakota, they have the largest fiber to the farm networks in the world. I've been told mm-hmm. they have the largest mm-hmm. fiber networks in the world because the folks who own the cooperative wanted their board of directors to invest in fiber to the home because they're the members. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a wonderful model for building these things out. And uh, we, I wish we could find a way for the ILEX uh, to to partner with the communities. We thought we had it. We said, look, we'll take out long-term bonds or we'll take out bonds and you can you can operate them and own them and at, at the end, but they just wouldn't do it. So mm-hmm. it all it all takes money, Craig. You got lots of enthusiasm <laughs> for this, and you have good technology, but it takes money to mm-hmm. make it work. No doubt, no doubt. And then, um, and I should probably make a point too to talk about uh, tomorrow. The um, there's a there's a analysis report I did that looked at different funding sources uh, and funding options. And so I think a lot of it, um, what's needed, too, is education. And what you guys did when you sent out that mailer to 7,500 people or so, I mean, the key aspect there was when you explain to people what the benefits are and what the logical progression is from here we are to where we can be, that the result is that people say, oh, well, we can do this. I mean, they they can grapple. I mean, I think a lot. They get it. Yeah, right. They get it. You know, I wrote a I wrote a piece a little while ago about you know our viewpoint you know as long as people look at it as well this is just entertainment this is just YouTube and why should we bother we're not going to move forward but when people start to see broadband as a community economic development asset yeah. then is when they will start to say well we can find creative ways to address this issue and move these projects forward and I think that's you know that's the key. You know, it's, um, one of the our small towns. Uh, our mm-hmm. small towns here have 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 a lot of elderly people in them, and and mm-hmm. elderly people don't don't really. Although they use technology more than you think, uh, right? Uh, but they can stay in their homes longer and live right. independently if they're hooked up to a fiber connection. And, and that you I know, think is going to be a big deal with with uh, with the older generation. That's quality of life, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what that is. And, and when uh, people understand that, or their children understand that mom and dad can stay in the home in their own home longer, because we have a mm-hmm. lot of extended families here, the children get it. And, right. And, and I mean, and I mean, the children are my age in their fifties, you know, and mm-hmm. their uh, parents are living on the farm or living in town, and then and, and they're in their seventies or eighties or nineties. 
and they get it, and they understand why this investment, you know, is so important. This is transformative technology. This is technology that is changing, will change the way we live in the next 15 uh, or 30 years. Well, it will happen. You cannot stop it. I that those, those, those communities who do it and do it right are going to benefit, and those who mm-hmm. wait will just have to wait. So now, to to wrap us up here, we've got about uh, about seven minutes. Um, you started out in one direction, and then you know there's some opportunities open up. You know, you looked at partnering with. Um, uh, the other county for a little bit, and then it kind of went forward, and then it didn't. And then you ended up, you know, things kind of fell apart. But then the farmers stepped up. Uh, how would, like, what piece of advice would you give to the, you know, the communities that are out there in terms of being able to deal with the changes that happen? I mean, they're, they're, you're not the only group that sort of started going one direction and yeah, had yeah. to change course a couple times. How do people best prepare for that kind of, you know, Craziness. There's no other way to describe it. I guess. Yeah, you you just have to persevere. You just have to believe in what you're doing and know that you're trying to make a difference that that's positive. We're trying to help ourselves here. There's not mm-hmm. one or two people that are trying to help themselves. We're all trying to help ourselves live in our communities that can that can be better positioned to take advantage of what's going to happen in the future with regards mm-hmm. to our children's education. And, and and as long as we hang on to that vision, as long as we know that what we're doing, we're trying to improve our lives, it, you're better able to fend off those those uh, uh, challenges that always that always raise their head. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and things never go as they plan. You know, uh, one guy said early on, if this was easy, somebody would have already done it. And, and that's, right. that's very true, uh, but we're we're doing something new. We we have a little project fatigue setting in on our joint powers board. We have ten communities that have been meeting for almost two years, and you mm-hmm. know, gosh, we were so close, and then it changed, and then we got real close again, and then it changed. We were supposed to have the money in July. We we're supposed to have the money in first of November, and now it may be January, and we haven't figured it out yet. We know. What's next? Goodness gracious! How are we going to make this through? And what you tell them is what what we're going to tell them is you're trying to do something brand new that's never been done before, and mm-hmm. and there's no template, and, and you know, and and we're trying to make a difference, and we just have to hang in there and believe in ourselves and believe in what we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 a lot of fun. You you meet a lot of interesting people. You learn about technology. You learn about opportunities. Uh, uh, but you you have to have a spouse that understands. <laughs> I have a wonderful well, spouse. Part of the movement. She, she lets yeah, or she let and she lets me go, and do mm-hmm. the things I need to do. And, and I have a great mayor and a great council here who actually said, "Let's go out and do this." And they've let me spend mm-hmm. an inordinate amount of time in the last two years on non-city things. If you call this project a non-city thing, uh, but I managed to get all my work done, and we we we've done some other things. So. Look mm-hmm. for a champion. Look for partners who believe in what you what you want to do. Look for help. We had the Blandon Foundation. That's who's sponsoring this conference tomorrow. Uh, they have grants for us to help study this. Uh, they enable. They look for solutions. 
look for people and, and uh, partners who want to get something done, not the ones that can always find what's what's wrong with something. There's a lot of people out there that can always tell you why something isn't going to work. Look for the people who are going to come up with ways that it can work. Um, you know, it's just it's just kind of develop a, a coalition and and, and mm-hmm. stick together and and go forward. Um, because it's worth it. You know, I, because it's really worth. It. And you've helped us a lot too, Craig. So. Oh well, thank you, thank you. I I appreciate that because you know we do this show week after week, and you know hoping to bring on guests that have good insights. That you know in the collective, you know you look at over the past year of doing these things, uh, that they've been you know collectively helpful. Which, by the way, will point me to the last point, and we're going to have to wrap up here because we're almost out of time. All which right. is you know look for other communities doing the same thing. Now, you may not be able to partner with them or that may not work out, but I think from a standpoint of being able to exchange ideas to change, exchange support, you know, just have a, you know, someone in another community, another state that can say, well, you know, we went through that hurdle last year or last month and, you know, it'll get better before it gets, you know, before you get any kind of other, you know, get off the track or whatever. And I think that those, you know, those community uh, partnerships, you know, like I said, even if it's just a matter of morale partnership, you know, yep. to be able to have a counterpart somewhere else, um, those are very important to the process. We took our whole board, we took our whole board early on up to Monticello, and they built the fiber mm-hmm. to home network there, and they're struggling a little bit right now. And we talked with them, mm-hmm. and 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 they admit they they made some mistakes, not mistakes. They did things in one way they wish they had done them in a different way, and we learned mm-hmm. from that. And and mm-hmm. we address those things. So, um, and that's good. Um, yeah, it is. Well, I think I ran you out of time, Craig. All righty. So let's. Um, we will. You and I will meet up tomorrow, and everybody else who's listening, hopefully, that's coming in the the loop for the summit, I will get a chance to meet as well. Uh, to our audience in general, if you can't make it to uh, to enjoy the balmy weathers of Minnesota. Uh, you know, we still will keep. You know, keep in touch. Our shows uh, you know, this week's gonna be actually pretty power packed. We've got a show uh, tomorrow on co-ops. We've got one on Wednesday on Smart Grid. We're gonna look at um, broadband and campaigns on Thursday, and Friday we're gonna come back to broadband adoption. So it's gonna be a good week for Gigabit Nation and for our listeners. And thank you very much, uh, Mark, for your time today. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate it. And I, and I'm available to help any of your listeners anytime. All they have to do is contact me. Excellent, excellent. Well, you take care. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Craig. Bye bye. Thank you, and thank you to our audience. Uh, tune in again tomorrow. Another great show on tap. Uh, we'll keep on rolling out the hits. Take care. Have a great day. Bye.